unplug some of this stuff so I don't electrocute myself up here. I've got more gadgets. I've got two microphones and telephones and recording devices. And it's kind of scary being up here, to be honest. It's scary with you. being me. It's scary being me. That's right. Thank you. But uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 26 and 27. And uh, what I titled this message this morning is, is just a one, one-worder. Not a one-liner, but a one-worder. It's overwhelmed. Uh, have you ever felt overwhelmed? Yeah, yeah me, me too. And uh, it seems like a, a lot more lately than it was when I was younger. It's kind of like uh, I was talking about that song. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Well, when I was young, I, I thought I was bulletproof, 10 feet tall, and that I could walk through fire. I, I wasn't scared of much of nothing. Nothing bothered me. Nothing overwhelmed me. But uh, the older I get, the more uh, seemingly the world is overwhelming all around me. This past year, 2020, boy, what a year that was, right? It in itself, just the title, 2020, uh, in a sense, overwhelms me just to think about. But uh, sometimes, uh, well, life life just can be overwhelming. Uh, we can be overwhelmed by temptation. Uh, we can be overwhelmed by fear, by grief, uh, even by peer pressure. You know, sometimes we look around at the things that are going on around us and we realize, man, I don't need to be a part of that. And yet all of our friends are doing it. You know, I, I when I first got in church years ago, and I've been doing this for a long Long, long time now. But but I remember 34 years ago and when my kids were little, of course my oldest son is in his 40s now, and uh, daughter and uh, younger son in their late uh, 30s. But when they, were, when they were little, I remember people in church asking me the question, well, why, why don't you let your daughter wear this or go here or go there or do this or do that? And there's always that peer pressure, you know, of peer. It doesn't matter whether it's peer pressure within church or peer pressure in the bar rooms or wherever it is that you find yourself. There's a world out there that wants you to walk and talk and act and be like them. And when you don't, then they put the pressure on you. And it can be at times overwhelming. Uh, here in our text, we're going to be looking at Matthew. Uh, has arranged three different stories with three different people, and he arranges them in in kind of a topical fashion. There, there's nowhere else in the other uh, gospels, Mark, Luke, or John, that you find these three stories stacked in a row the way that you find them here. But I think Matthew put these things together because he really saw himself in these three stories as a tax collector. Now listen, I want you to realize Matthew, the apostle, the, the, the man of God that wrote the gospel of Matthew, was a tax collector. Now I know we ain't real crazy about tax collectors in our day either, but back then it was a totally different deal. Uh, they, would, they would press down more than you owed the Roman government so that they could make their living and they were legally able to, to press down on you whatever it is that they wanted to and you had to pay that. And Matthew realized that, boy, he was under pressure. He was overwhelmed by a lot of things. And, and uh, he teaches us some lessons 
about being... Did you know that being overwhelmed can lead to failure? When you're overwhelmed by temptation, and if that temptation literally becomes overwhelming in your life, that's usually when we get swept away or washed away in whatever it is that has overwhelmed us. Overwhelmed with fear. Overwhelmed with peer pressure. And we see in these uh, lessons, we're going we're gonna to go backwards. I don't know why... I do that sometimes. I'll read, you know, from the first scriptures all the way through to the last, and then I realize, well, you know, you needed to back up farther, and you go back a little farther, and you read all the way through, and then now I look at it and I see that this story needs to be told in reverse. So what I want you to do is uh, look at Matthew chapter twenty-seven, and we're going to start there and go backwards towards twenty-six. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter twenty-seven, verse eleven through 26 and it reads like this and Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying art thou the king of the Jews and Jesus saith unto him thou sayest and when he was accused of the chief priests and elders he answered nothing he didn't open his mouth then said Pilate unto him hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee and he answered uh, him uh, never a word. He didn't open his mouth again. And so much that even the governor was marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governor was wont, or he had a desire to release unto the people a prisoner, whomever they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, uh, whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that uh, for envy they had delivered him. Uh, and when he had sat down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, I, I don't know, I guess she texted him. <laughs> she sent unto him, uh, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said unto them, Whether, whether, whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. Uh, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with, with Jesus, which is called the Christ? And they, they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out, the more saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that uh, rather the tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. My, my. What a story. Of course, we're coming up on Easter here in a, in a couple of more Sundays, and uh, we know that the crucifixion precedes uh, the, the resurrection of Christ. And this is the story that leads up to 
his crucifixion. Pilate turns him over. Well, why did Pilate do that? We, we realize that this overwhelming uh, desire to turn Christ over to the tormentors and to, to have him crucified came because of peer pressure. Pilate failed because of peer pressure. He could have gone uh, down in history as one of the most judicious judges and procurators of, of history. And yet instead, he went down as a person who had no backbone, no determination in and of himself. He could have stopped this, uh, this kangaroo court that was going on at the time with Jesus being tossed back and forth between you know, kings and, and uh, governors and everybody raking Him across the coals. This, this man could have freed Him right then and there. And, and actually, he, uh, he attempted several things, but instead of getting the job done, He caved. You know, we do the same thing. We, uh, we, we put forth just a little bit of effort to make people think that we're trying to do the best that we can when actually we're really not putting much effort at all uh, in being faithful to the Word of God, the house of God, the people of God, the things of God. Uh, I mean, it's really just a, a matter of determination and not caving to uh, the overwhelming uh, pressure that the world can put us under that our old nature. You see, that's, that's where peer pressure comes in. It's not the peer pressure. It's not really the people out there, but our old nature living on the inside of us that wants to be liked by the world, by the things of the world. And this governor felt that pressure. He wanted the people's opinion to be of him greater. And uh, the only way that he could gain their... Uh, applause and the pat on the back would be to turn Christ over to them that he might be crucified. But he did try. Uh, he questioned and accused Christ personally. He came to him and said, hey, listen, do you hear what these accusers, you're not even opening your mouth. What do you want me to do? I am really on your side. I have a, des you know, a desire to turn you loose and to set you free, but I need you to help me. If you don't open your mouth, then I'm going to have to give the people what they want. And Christ didn't open His mouth. He didn't say a word. My friend, listen, does that relieve us of the responsibility? We say, well, you know, I asked God if I should turn left or turn right or go straight or back up. I asked God what it is that He wanted me to do. And He didn't answer my prayer, so I just did what I wanted to do. I did what I felt was right. No, you need to do what you know is right. We know what is right in our hearts. God has given us a conscience. God has given us... His Word, we can study it and hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against God. We say God didn't answer us, but my friend, God has given us the answer to every question we might need an answer to in the very Word of God. The problem is, is that we, you know, I, I started to preach this morning and I, had, I still have this banging on my heart and my mind. Where Elijah went up on the mountain, uh, he was running from a girl uh, after cutting the heads off of 400 Baal prophets and uh, standing strong for God and uh, literally going to war and killing 
400 men with the edge of the sword himself. And then because a girl threatened him, he, you know, he picks up his skirt and runs to the mountain to hide from a little girl. And while he's up on the mountain, God speaks to him. But you see, God first sends, you know, uh, an earthquake and then he, he sends uh, a fire and he sends all of these big, loud, huge. But Elijah said God wasn't in any of those things. You know where Elijah found God? In a still, small voice. Sometimes we are listening to the peer pressure, to the crowds, to the friends, to the world, to the television, to the things on the radio and the music. And my friend, God speaks in such a still, small voice to our heart that we've got to turn the world down a notch and sometimes four or five before we're going to hear what it is that God is saying to us, we've got to get along with God. Get along with the Word of God. Get in a place where we can meditate and listen and read and study and hide the Word of God in our heart. He questioned Christ personally. He tried to substitute Barabbas. Thinking that the crowd went, man, they'll never want this guy. We've got Jesus, but who am I going to put up there with Him? That'll give Jesus the best shot. Well, we'll put Barabbas. He's he's a loudmouth. He's a murderer. He's a thief. He's no good. Certainly, they'll choose Barabbas. But my friend, listen. The world is going to choose the world every time. And if you're listening to the world, then what is it that you're going to get from the world other than the world? My friend, you've got to come to the house of God, get in the Word of God, listen to the people of God, to hear the voice of God in your heart that you might be able to lead and guide your home and your family and to live the life that God has called us to live. Well, he questioned Christ personally. He put Barabbas up beside him, beside him thinking that certainly the, the world isn't going to choose Barabbas over Christ. He listened to his wife but he did that ambivalently. She said that she she texted him and said, "Look, I want you to let that guy alone. I have suffered in my dreams today from him. I don't know what God is saying, but I'm telling you, you need to let that guy alone. Pass him over." But no, instead, all he could hear was the crowd crying, "Crucify, crucify!" He appealed to the crowd to change their verdict. He he said, "Well, what what are you? I mean, you're choosing Barabbas over Jesus. What about this guy?" Certainly Jesus called the Christ. He's Jewish. He calls Himself the Messiah. I I know that you believe in the Messiah. You you don't want to free Him? Listen now. Crucify Him. Kill Him. My friend, we've got to choose our friends wisely. Choose the voices that we listen to wisely. I know that's hard when you're young, when you're in school. It's not very hip. It's not very cool. You're not going to be on the in crowd when, you, uh, when you're on Jesus' side. But I'll guarantee you, you'll be on the right side. Well, not only do we uh, see that Pilate failed because he was overwhelmed by peer pressure. Uh, you know, sometimes, by the way, when, when I, I thought about that word peer. Peer. What is peer? That, that means our equals, right? That, that means people like us. And we want them to like us. Not only are we like them and they like us, we want them. But do you realize that instead of listening to our peers, we should really listen to the Lord? Because 
Even though He is one God, He is the majority. He is the majority. We are living a life on a stage in front of a one-man audience. And it's not the world. It's not our peers. We're living on a stage and playing the part that God has called us to play in front of Him. And He is literally the only person that is in the audience that matters. That matters. Well, secondly, we see Judas. We saw Pilate and he failed because of peer pressure. But we see Judas failed because he was overwhelmed with, with guilt and sorrow. Boy, you, you back up uh, and go to uh, chapter 27 and verse 1. And we're going to look at this in verse 1. It says, when, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders and people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor, then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. Boy, isn't that something? That Judas repented. We say, oh, well, that's a good thing. He, he, uh, he repented. He turned away from his sin. Oh, no. Listen, there is a sorrow, a worldly sorrow that leads to death. But there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and remorse and, and turning away from sin. But, but Judas didn't, didn't turn really away from his sin. And his heart says this, when Judas, which had betrayed him, saw that he, Christ, was condemned, he repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. You take care of your own business. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, you know, it's not lawful for us to put that back into the treasury because it's the price of blood. So they took counsel and bought with those pieces of silver the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood even unto this day. Then was uh, fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver and the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. And they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. So, boy, what a, what a terrible, horrible, despicable story uh, of a despicable person that would sell out the Lord Jesus Christ for just a few pieces of silver. Now, I want you to realize something. We sell him out for a lot less than that. I mean, a few 30 pieces of silver back in that day was a wealth of, uh, of, of money. But to us, boy, we, we sell him out just because, well, we don't, we don't uh, really have any other days that we can sleep in. Uh, and I need my rest. Uh, we, would, we would rather be doing this than that. We sell him out for a bowl of beans. Uh, not much at all. But I, I've got to give it to Judas that when, when he realized that, uh, that he was condemned, not only that Christ was condemned, but that he himself was condemned by God because of what he did, uh, he did try you know, to give the money back. 
And, and he did weep and, and beg for mercy and sought one type of repentance. But you realize that, see, he could have turned his life around. He, he was standing at the threshold of the door. We all wind up there because all of sin comes short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of us are overwhelmed by temptation, by all of these things in our lives. And it comes a time that we have the opportunity to make a choice, to do what is right. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. He felt remorse, but it's not the same as repentance. Oh, it's a start. Remorse, you know, I feel bad about what I did, but it's still not repentance. Repentance is not admitting that what you did was wrong or even feeling bad about it. But repentance is saying that, Lord, if I could go back and undo that, I would. And I would bend the knee and bow the head and surrender every ounce, every inch, every fiber of my being to your Lordship. And I would live a life that brings glory and honor to you rather than choosing the things of the world. He felt remorse. He returned the money. That's some evidence of repentance, right? Well, he, he confessed, I, I've sinned. But then he went out and, and hanged himself. So if he repented, gave the money back, asked God for forgiveness, then why did he go out and climb up in a tree and tie a noose around his neck and jump off a limb? Because what I said to you a while ago, there is a worldly sorrow that leadeth to death. But there is a godly sorrow that leadeth to repentance. We'll see a man that was led to repentance after this one. That he turned. And he didn't climb a tree. He didn't kill it. Even though he was broken. Even though he was wounded. Even though he was hurt. Even though he was, he was overwhelmed by what had taken place. He actually turned away from his sin. Now 2 Corinthians 7.10. I quoted that to you a while ago. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. We sometimes forget that God is bigger than our troubles. God is bigger than what is going on in our lives at the time. And there's no, no sense in going out. Boy, out at the prison I hear... And go talk to families, men, women that are in the facility, that people out on the street that are related to them have got caught up in something in the world and they felt overwhelmed and they wind up taking their own lives. It happens at least once a month, it seems like. This world is full of hurting people, full of people who are being overwhelmed by the things of the flesh. We've got to remember and we've got to tell them that there is a way out. Then that's certainly not there. That's jumping out of the skillet into the fire. Amen. There is no hope in taking your own life. We forget that God is bigger than our troubles. In the end, only He can really dig us out of the pits that we have dug us ourselves into. Second Corinthians twelve and ten says this, therefore. I take pleasure in my infirmities. For when I am weak, then He is strong. You see, when I'm going through trials, tribulations, heartache, and suffering, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I realize that I'm not going through this alone. Yea, though I walk through that valley of the shadow of death, Thou art with me. And He is able to see me through. That no matter how weak I get, the weaker I get, the stronger 
that he becomes in my life. Well, we see Pilate. He failed because he was overwhelmed from peer pressure. Judas failed because he was overwhelmed by grief and sorrow and remorse. But we see Peter, and, and Peter failed. I say that, you know, he, he didn't fail the way that Judas did. He didn't go out and hang himself. He didn't commit suicide. But boy, I'll bet you he thought about it. Now, I know one who thought about it as well, and that was Paul the Apostle. He said, I'm in a strait betwixt the... For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm in a strait betwixt the two. And what I shall choose, I know not. What I shall choose? What does that mean? I'm in a strait between the twig, betwixt the two. What two or what? To live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm, I'm in a dilemma between these things. I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, well, now I realize God opened my eyes and my understanding and told me that for me to live is better for you than for me to go. Oh, but for me to... Die is gain. For me to live is Christ, but to die is, is really better for me. And I'm in a strait. I'm wrestling with what I, I want to do, but God is not done with me. My friend, I want you to know God's not done with you either. No matter what it is that you're facing, what it is that you've gone through, what tomorrow holds, I do not know, but I know who holds tomorrow and He is in control and that you can trust Him. Peter failed because he was overwhelmed by fear and pride. Remember what, what Peter told the Lord? I'm better than them, Lord. See, that's pride. Puffed up. Thinking that we are strong and that we can overcome the world. My friend, you are not ten foot tall. You are not bulletproof. And God can snatch the rug out from under you just like He did Job and cause you to cry out from the sackcloth and ashes in the midst of the boils from head to feet and beg God for mercy. Of course, Peter had the chance to, to really stand up for Christ. We all have that opportunity. We have a chance. Listen, you have a chance today. You had a chance this morning and you did good. You showed up for church. Amen. And uh, you came. Some of them are outside. They're sitting in a parking lot. Praise God. That is making the right choice. That is standing up and making your voice and, and your vehicle. When people drive by and they see the parking lot full. Listen, that is a testimony to the world about who God is in our hearts and in our lives, in our homes and in our families. Well, the day before, Peter had failed miserably. Everybody was, was saying, oh, I know that guy. I saw him hanging around with that Galilean. Your voice, your speech betrays you. And he was like, no, 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 no. I don't even know that guy. And finally, a little girl says something about, I, I saw him with her. And he went to cursing, swearing. Oh, what a failure we can be in, in a heartbeat just because of fear, pride. We don't want people to think badly of us. So, boy, I, I remember when Peter, he was sitting at the, at the table with the Gentiles and he was eating a pork chop. Now, you've got to read in between the lines to get the pork chop deal, all right? But he's sitting at the table with the Gentiles and the reason he's sitting over there is because that's not the kosher table. That's the unkosher table where they were eating food that was not clean in the eyes of a Jew to partake of. But when he saw 
the pillars of the church coming, John and some of these other apostles, boy, he wipes his mouth and he gets up and he goes and sits down over at the Jewish table so they wouldn't catch him eating with the Gentiles. What, is, what does that tell you about Peter? Pride? Arrogance? He wants the Gentiles to think highly of him, but now he wants the Jews to think highly of Him rather than what God thinks? See, my friend, we need to ask ourselves the question. And you've seen it on bumper stickers, what would Jesus do? We need to ask ourselves in every situation of our lives, what would God have me do? What is the right thing? Not the kosher thing. not, Not the worldly thing. But what is the godly thing for me to do? To keep from failing. To keep from being overwhelmed. He had a chance to stand up for Christ. But instead, because he was set on his own agenda, he had his own desire in mind, he was intimidated by a little slave girl at a fire and he curses God and says, I don't even know that guy. This talk gave him away in a spiritual sense. They realized, boy, you know, he, he don't, he's not sounding very much like a Jew. He sounds more like a Christian to me. But uh, just because we talk the talk doesn't mean we always walk the walk. And I'm telling you, God is watching more what it is that you do rather than what you say. You can call yourself anything you want to call yourself. You can call yourself a Christian person of God, man of God, Baptist, call yourself anything. My friend, it's the life that you live that really screams to the world who you are. In contrast to Pilate and Judas, Peter did shake back though. Boy, I'm thankful for that. He did not go out and hang himself. He did not make the right, uh, wrong choice in the ultimate end of his life. He remembered the Word. Remember what it says there. That while he was running fire to fire and he was cursing this one and swearing about that one and denying the Lord here and denying the Lord there, all of a sudden the rooster crowed. And what was it that Peter did when the rooster crowed? Boy, it dawned on him what God had said to him the day before. But you say, Peter, you're going to go to the cross. You'll die for me? That you love me? You're better than all of these other people? Before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. When he denied the third time, all of a sudden the rooster crowed and he looked up dead in the face of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross looking down at Him. I can only imagine how that felt. But boy, i got a pretty good imagination. I can feel that tear the heart out of my chest the way that it did. Peter, he remembered what the Lord had told him. He... he uh, he had a spirit of brokenness that came across him. The Bible says that he wept and he ran. He, he didn't run back to his boat and, and uh, go back to his old life the way that, of course, Judas climbed up in the tree and hung himself and 
and never returned. He did go back to his boat. He did go back out fishing. A lot of the disciples went with him. And when he was in the boat and Christ came walking down the edge of the, the uh, lake uh, that he was in fishing in and called out to him, Hey, people, y'all got some fish out there? You catching anything? He says, No, we fished all night and ain't caught a thing. Cast on the right side of your boat. You'll catch something. They said, What? What's wrong with this guy? Don't he know we're fishermen? We're professionals. We know what we're doing. But they cast anyway and couldn't draw the fish in. It was so many in the net. He jumped off the boat and swam to the bank to get to the feet of Christ. See, that's what repentance is. It's not going out and hanging yourself. It's not going back to the world and back to your old life. But it's finding the feet of Jesus and falling on your face before a holy and righteous God. He, in contrast to Judas, stayed in the group. He didn't leave the disciples, leave the apostles, leave the church and go back to the world. When we fail, let me ask you something. When, when we fail, do you realize that the hardest people to reach are people who have been religious and fallen away from Christ? Well, I tried that. I've been to church. I know those people down there. They're those, those, you know, those snooty, got their nose in the air, looking down their long religious nose at everybody else. Man, they just sinners like everybody. Yes, we are. You're right. We are sinners. But we are saved by grace. Sinners. All saints are sinners. All sinners aren't saints. But all saints are sinners. And Peter realized his sin. He saw his sin. He confessed. He repented. He turned away from his sin. And he surrendered his life afresh back to Christ. The people of the church. The reason that Peter didn't go away from the church is because when you fall away in sin, it's the people of the church that will love you and build you up and strengthen you. And if you find a church that they do not, they, they spurn you, or turn their backs on you, then you're in the wrong church, buddy. It's not that the church is bad. It's just that you're in the, in the wrong company. You need to find a church where there are people there that love the Lord and love sinners. Love people who are just like you, just like me. Love people who stumble, falter, and fail, and get up and try again, and again, and again. And we keep struggling to be faithful to God. Well, the Bible's full. I, I found three here. Actually, I talked about a few more. But the Bible's full of people who fail. Full of people who are overwhelmed. Because, well, that's the only type of people there are in the world, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. Not you, not me, not anybody else. So when we run into people in the Bible, remember there are no great men of God. There are only men of a great God. And we struggle and we strive to get up and try again harder than we tried last time to be faithful to Him. But be sure of this, no matter how hard you try, you're still going to be overwhelmed at times. No matter how hard you try, you're still going to fail. Because we are failures. We are human. We are sinners. We're not lost. Praise God. I get to go to heaven in spite of my sin. That makes me want to try harder because I'm, I'm not going to heaven because I'm good. I'm going to heaven because Jesus was good. Because He died in my place. 
And I love Him for what He did. That's why we do what we do. That's why we don't give up. That's why we don't give out. That's why we don't give in. That's why we don't turn back. We continue fighting the fight and running the race no matter what it is that is overwhelming us in our lives. We realize that God is on His throne and I can trust Him. And so can you. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love, for Your mercy. Thank You for this time that we have here in Your house with other believers. God, I know that I'm, I'm primarily preaching to the choir. God, we all need to realize just how overwhelming life can be. Lord, sometimes we feel like such failures. Sometimes we feel like giving up and giving out and giving in. But God, Your Spirit living on the inside of us will not allow us to do that. Thank You for Your work that You've done in our hearts. Thank You, O God, that You do a work daily in my life, in my mind, in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit. You keep me putting one foot in front of the other. We mount up with wings as eagles. And and God, we run and we faint not. We walk and we're not weary only because of the power of the Spirit living on the inside of us. Forgive us for our weakness. Forgive us for our sin. Help us, God, to be faithful to You. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.